Welcome to McKnight's Senior Living Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hello, this is Lois Bowers, editor of McKnight's Senior Living. Joining us today is Bob Kramer, the inaugural recipient of the Career Achievement Award, which is part of the McKnight's Pinnacle Awards. Bob, thanks for joining me today. Delighted to be here with you. Thank you, Lois. Sure. And congratulations on being selected for the uh, Career Achievement Award. It's certainly a well-deserved honor. The award recognizes contributions you've made over the entire course of your career. You founded the National Investment Center for Seniors Housing and Care in the 90s. What are you most proud of NIC accomplishing over the years? I'd say uh, that we accomplished what was the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal in Jim Collins' language that that I have, but also I would want to fully also credit Tony Mullen, who's no longer with us. But Tony and I had the BHAG in 1994 in particular, we wrote it up. And that was that we would attract capital, particularly institutional capital, to not only educate them about seniors housing, but to attract them to really provide major financing and make make it a a property type alongside other commercial property types that they would invest in. And like most BHAGs, you don't accomplish them overnight. Our idea was to provide the research and ultimately the data and analytics that would make investors comfortable, institutional investors especially, to invest in our space. And that's why we created NICMAP, but we were successful. We put senior housing not only on the radar, but on the in the investment profile of investment community and particularly institutional investors like pension funds and so forth. But as a derivative of that, I often talk, Lois, about the Forgotten Middle Project was really my capstone project at NIC. And I say that because we introduced and educated investors about basically private pay senior living, but not all Americans can afford private pay senior living. In fact, the majority can't. And so the forgotten middle of a phrase that, uh, that, that we coined, that I coined, and then the study done uh, with uh, Nork at the University of Chicago that came out in 2019 was updated this past year. It really, I'm proud because that really delivered on our mission, which is about access and choice for older Americans. And it identified, it's kind of like, okay, now you're comfortable, you know this product, you see its value, you see its returns. Well, let us show you what's going to be the biggest unserved market and the opportunities you have in the future, but also the social obligation. And as we now hear so much about uh, ESG, and uh, and the S in the ESG, and we hear so much about equity. Um, you know, we have to realize that the single largest socioeconomic cohort of older Americans in the future will be this forgotten middle. But curiously enough, for instance, for pension funds, they are the retirement savings of the forgotten middle. Public safety, government employees teachers, nurses, they are the forgotten middle. 
And their retirement savings are actually what these investors, if their pension funds are investing. So in one sense, we're coming full circle as we should. And I am incredibly proud that NIC and its new strategic plan is going to continue a real focus on we're having a roundtable, an invitation-only roundtable uh, at the beginning of our spring conference coming up uh, now very soon on the 1st of March. And I'm really proud that under the board and Ray Braun's leadership, NIC is going to invest a lot in really uh, moving insights to action to serving this cohort. And could you talk a little bit about Nexus Insights, the think tank you founded a couple of years ago? Um, what need did you see in the seniors housing and care industry? And what projects has Nexus Insights undertaken that have excited you the most? Yeah, great question. Thanks. First of all, we see as our mission advancing the well-being of older adults through innovative models of housing, community, and healthcare. And what I would say in terms of the industry, I was convinced, and I gathered, convened a group, very diverse group of fellows with me, but two-thirds of them are a generation younger than me, and two-thirds of them are women, and that's deliberate because I want to be building something that anticipates and is going to be, uh, deliver for the future. And what I would say is we, had, we, are t- we take a much wider lens, which I believe the senior housing or, and care industry needs to take as we look to the future. What do I mean by a wider lens? Well, for instance, we're going to serve an age span of 65 to 100 in the future. So we're talking about housing and services and healthcare for the for a third of your life. Secondly, we're going to have to serve a much wider income range. We can't just serve people who can afford uh, uh, assisted living or independent living forever. We we need to serve this forgotten middle. Um, thirdly, the the with the boomers. They're going to want more customized products and services. Another trend is going to be addressing health and health care. And how is your setting going to basically put more life in my years, not just add years to my life? And that's what our customer is going to be looking for. And then lastly, I'd say the consumer experience. I don't think we've done a good job as an industry really listening to the consumer. And for the boomer consumer, if you're not listening to them, that's going to be fatal. So what we wanted to do was have a much broader lens. And part of the whole thesis of, and even in the name Nexus, insights, the idea is that insights come from the intersection or nexus point of multiple industries, multiple points of view, and, um, and that that diversity of thought can lead to real creativity and innovation. And in that sense, we see ourselves as the think tank for the future of senior living and care, not the past. Mm-hmm. And that we're going to explode outside our buildings. We're going to explode outside the limited income range we serve. We're going to explode outside the overwhelmingly white population that we have served in the past. It's going to be much more ethnically and racially diverse. And so in all these ways, we, are, um, uh, we want to reflect that in, in the issues we're taking on. In terms of what am I most proud of, uh, 
first of all, I'm just proud of the group, <laughs> you know, very diverse perspectives, you know, three, three women a generation younger than me that have just completed a very successful next round of funding for their startup. You know, then one fellow who's just now, uh, as of uh, this week, uh, become the executive director of the Peterson Center on Healthcare, Caroline Pearson. Uh, Dr. Bill Thomas, a serial innovator and entrepreneur in our field. David Grabowski, a leading uh, policy researcher and policy uh, a spokesperson. Jill Vitale, awesome, a, a provider, an operator, but one who's very disruptive in her innovation. Ryan Frederick, who's really focused on place and longevity. We all are united by a common passion that we can and must do better with and for older adults. And it leads to incredibly robust discussions. And yes, with people like Bill Thomas in there, we're, we get into debates and we have a lot of fun, but out of it comes action. I think again, as I said earlier, if, if NIC and our data has been known of getting insights from action, at Nexus, we want to be the spearhead of turning insights into action, not data into insights. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, for instance, the first issue we took on, and David Grabowski and I, and Tomlinson, David Grabowski and I did a piece in The Hill, a major sort of beltway DC policy publication in which we said America's long-term care infrastructure, a road to nowhere. And we said it's broken but it's most broken for the consumer who's in crisis. And we followed that up then with a major uh, report that we issued on the issue. Where am I? Where do I go? Uh, And uh, let's see, the full title is, where am I? Where do I go? The missing entry point to long-term care solutions for older adults and their caregivers. That came out of a roundtable we convened. We then did a national survey with Newark at the University of Chicago, adults 50 plus. And just in the responses, one out of four people over age 50 say they or a loved one had experienced a long-term crisis in just the previous 12 months. Now, in just a few weeks, Stanford and Melinda Gates Pivotal Ventures will be releasing another report, building on our report. Again, calling as we did for a hub or platform that becomes a central place that older adults and their caregivers in crisis can turn to for information, help, advice. And in the case of the report coming out from Stanford and Pivotal Ventures, also in connecting them with the resources. So, you know, I could list a number of other issues we've written. I recently wrote a piece in Health Affairs pointing out how HUD financing vehicle could actually be used as a lever to drive innovation and drive quality in skilled nursing. But it, it isn't usually, it isn't now. So we're looking for ways, given the diverse but deep expertise we have, to point out how can we do things differently and do things better for and with older adults. So as you can see, I'm pretty excited about that and excited what's, what's happening. That's great. Let's take a step back for a second, speaking of the past. And um, I was wondering when you first launched NIC in the 90s and looking back, what do you believe is the biggest change in long-term care in those decades? Wow. 
That's a big question. But yeah, it was, it was more than 30 years ago. Um, <laughs> well, it's interesting, the timing of that. I believe that the first generation of senior housing or senior living was really uh, from 1960 to 1990. And it was dominated by not-for-profits, most faith-based. So you the board and care home, as well as the uh, entrance fee, uh, CCRC or life plan communities really grew during that period, much of it out of a mission that that organization had to serve widows and who outlived their, their, their spouses and for whatever reason needed care. There weren't children there to provide the care and so forth. And then on top of that, the other piece would be 1965, the Great Society legislation that created Medicare and Medicaid. And so with the creation of Medicaid, you had an explosive growth of nursing homes. Late 60s, 70s, um, a huge percentage of the still, the product out there today of nursing home buildings were built in that period of 65 to the end of the 70s. But 1990 really marks the beginning of private pay seniors housing. For-profits coming in, the growth of assisted living, independent living, uh, and, and, and eventually memory care. Two things. First, what drove that? It was the boomer daughter. She was now in the workforce. And so prior to that, if, if, if parents were fortunate enough to live uh, a few years past their retirement, it was the adult daughter or daughter-in-law who was always expected to be there because she was at home to provide the care. Well, she now has a job and she was overwhelmingly in the workforce and she fought hard for that job. On the one hand, she didn't want to live with the guilt of not putting mom in an old style institutional nursing home. But on the other hand, she didn't want to give up her job. And all of a sudden, folks like Paul and Terry Cosson came along with a beautiful Victorian mansion with carpets and chandeliers and curved stair staircases that you would never want mom to, to try and navigate. But they weren't selling to mom. They were selling to that boomer daughter. And assisted living took off in the 1990s. And the boomer daughter said, ah, oh, I love this. You know, this is like home for mom. It's more residential. And it's not the old style institutional nursing home. And it was the boomer daughter that caused the explosion of private pay senior living because she was now in the workforce. Now, fast. So what did that do? In answer to your question, it put long-term care as an industry because prior to that, long-term care was something that happened in the family. And then if the family wasn't there, usually it was your your, 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 your synagogue, your church that you turn to. And they, they developed something to, to, to serve mom because it was overwhelmingly mom. And now, uh, so from 1990 to 2020, we had the explosive growth of a whole industry because of the boomer daughter now being in, in the workforce to serve the needs of mom and dad. Uh, and so, that put us center stage and we became aware of the numbers, meaning the numbers of adults who needed this. And then on top of that, the numbers of boomers that we were serving their parents. Now, COVID marked the end of that first generation of private pay seniors housing. Now we're going to enter the next generation. 
from between now and 2050 or, and, or even 2060. And that's when we start serving that boomer and especially that boomer daughter. But the irony is, though assisted living worked for them to put mom into, they know that's not where they want to end up. They don't have, mom had accidental longevity. She didn't expect to live that long. Boomers have a better idea that I may live longer, but I want purposeful longevity. And that means I'm not just, you know, grateful to survive and I'll take whatever you offer me, society and senior living industry. No, what I want is I don't want just extended lifespan. I want health span. I want to, again, put life in my years. And that's going to define the products that will serve the next, the next generation. And so what's happened in the last 30 years? Explosive growth of private pay senior living, the boomer daughter and her role in driving all of this and becoming an actual industry, attracting investment. And now we're at a pivot point to beginning to serve the next generation who previously we served their parents. And they are much more sophisticated and educated about what they want than their parents were. How do you think operators are going to change to meet those expectations? Yeah. Well, a couple of things I would say. One, they're going to have to learn to listen to the customer and not be condescending and paternalistic in sort of, we have the care you need when you absolutely can't live without it. But rather, what do you really want? And really listen to them. So, and I think, what I would say probably more than anything else, uh, the biggest change will be successful operators are in, the, in what they offer going to be combating and reflecting a different way of thinking about aging and combating the ageism in our society. Ageism wasn't even a concept 30 years ago. Now, yes, I wouldn't say it's a huge discussion within the industry, but within the aging field, it's a huge discussion today, more broadly. And what does this mean? And the sort of the timing of it with the boomers. What it means is moving from, again, a what I would call uh, a declinist view of aging and therefore a declinist view of your later years to rather an engagement view of your later years. I call the D word concept of aging and retirement uh, decline and deficits. It's shaped, it's driven by deficits and a focus on what you've lost or are losing to an E word concept. It's about engagement, experience, enhancement, enjoyment. But fundamentally, rather than seeing at some age, 65, 75, you're finished. It's all downhill. It's all decline. Rather, We have a setting which is next stage living, not end stage living. It's aspirational. And so, you know, if we don't change, I believe many boomers are going, especially the boomer daughter, is going to see senior living as senior dying, a place you go to die. Therefore, you want to avoid it as long as you can. We have the opportunity to instead turn our settings into aspirational settings where we where what encountering the sort of ageism in society, we are redefining what you expect out of aging and therefore 
we are creating a new experience of aging, which is one again around, well, just look at it simply. Look at the questions we're really good as an industry at asking. When you're, when you're considering or, or considering for your mom or dad moving in, we're really good at asking, all right, what kind of assistance do you need with activities of daily living? How many chronic conditions do you have? How far progressed are they? Um, what, uh, how many prescription drugs do you take? How many over-the-counter drugs do you take? And then the question we're really good at, how long can you afford our setting? But none of those questions get at what's most important to the person. None of, no one wants their identity defined by those things, which all relate to a declinist view of life and of aging. Instead, we need to start asking questions like, what are your goals in moving in here? What, are, what gifts, talents do you bring to this community? What would you like to learn? What would you like to accomplish in the next month, the next year, the next three years? And how can we help you toward those goals? That's an aspirational setting that's adding, putting life in your years. And by the way, will in the same time, therefore, uh, be extending your lifespan. You know, Becca Levy came out with a book this past fall, Breaking the Age Code, how your beliefs about aging determine how long and well you will live. And what she documented is, and particularly there's this phenomenon of an internalized ageism, which our industry at times furthers rather than counters, where elders, older adults internalize society's view that it's all downhill from here. It's like the Hallmark greeting card, ironically, on your 40th birthday, which has black crepe and black balloons and black bunning. What's the message? It's all downhill. You're losing it, whatever it is defined. And so um, I think that that opportunity we have to basically say, no, we're a next stage place. We're a place you can aspire to live in. And we offer a lifestyle that's aspirational. Not we're just going to keep you clean, safe, and secure while you are declining till you finally completely disappear. What's the number one comment that particularly older women make? And that is that they feel they've become totally unseen. It's a cry amongst many older adults, especially among women. The successful provider of the future is going to show we not only see you, we hear you, and we want to engage with you. We want to offer you a lifestyle that builds on all your, your, your years of wisdom, but also is going to put life in your years. And so to me, that's going to be a major change. In addition to listening and asking different questions, uh, if you had one piece of advice for senior living owners, operators, and leaders, what would it be? Well, yes, the first one would be really listen to your customer, not the customer of the past, but the customer of the future. Think how long it takes you to retool, to build a new property, to basically conceive of the product, to design it, to deliver it in, 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 in built infrastructure, and to open it. Well, that customer of 2030, they're going to be here really soon. And also with the buildings you have now, are they going to be obsolete 
are the buildings you building now going to be attractive to boomers? And most importantly, because of what happens inside of them. But I, I guess I would particularly answer your question with this quote that admittedly I really like of Bill Gates. He says, we always overestimate the change that will occur in the next two years and underestimate the change that will occur in the next 10. Don't let yourself be lulled into inaction. And so, no, are all the things I'm talking about going to happen in the next two years? Absolutely not. But if you think because of that, they're not going to happen, and you're going to let yourself there be therefore lulled into inaction, you're going to go out of business. You're either going to be acquired or you're just going to shut down. Because this is where we're going on, on these many trends that I've talked about. Are the boomers for the living, moving into senior care communities right now? No, they're not there yet. They're 10 years away from being our customer there. But the reason active adult has become such a hot product type is everyone wants to get brand loyalty now by serving these boomers who are in their 60s and 70s and are not yet candidates for more care-driven. But understand, if you're just seen as offering a care-driven product, you're the end-stage place of last resort for a boomer. So you better change your, your image. So don't be lulled into inaction. Don't underestimate what's going to happen in the next 10 years. You do so at your peril. And while we have you, is there anything else you'd like to share? Well, you know, I'm, I'm really at a loss for words or ideas. <laughs> I, you know, the key thing I would say is that I want to put just a, a sort of reality framing on my comments. The average senior living operator from the C-suite to the front line has come out of the last nearly three years exhausted, overwhelmed. You're just simply fighting day to day to keep your residents and your staff alive and then to also survive financially. And so I don't want to uh, make light of that. We've had so many heroes and so many operators and so many frontline, whether they're caregivers or dining staff or maintenance, have just gone above and beyond. And many are emotionally, physically, uh, mentally just exhausted and financially stressed. At the same time, what I'm saying is we have huge opportunities in front of us. And we need to focus on these opportunities and how we're going to position ourselves. I'm incredibly bullish about our field and about this, the senior housing and care sector. I'm bearish, though, on the ability of many operators to make the pivots they're going to need to make and to be willing to make the investments they need to make. Let me... Let me give one example, totally outside our, our, our field, but I think it's a good analogy. For a price tag that was in the tens of millions, but not hundreds of millions, Southwest made the decision that it was, they didn't need to do it. It was a nice to have to upgrade their entire uh, technology uh, platform on which their whole system depended in order to get uh, personnel to the right place at the right time. Well, a perfect storm happened, literally storms, uh, the time of year, the weather, and their system totally crashed. While other airlines were able to recover, they weren't. 
And now they've already said they're going to take a write-off of somewhere between 750 million and a billion just to make whole everyone that was affected by their meltdown. And that has nothing to do with the cost of recovering their brand and the mojo of their brand and their positioning as the reliable low-cost airline. That probably will be in the billions. So may that be an example. Don't be lulled into inaction. If you see investing in thinking about how you're going to be addressing the health of your residents where they live and not shipping them out, if you see investing in technology platforms and how you're going to be able to use data as a luxury you don't have the time, energy, or money for, then you're probably a candidate to be retired. Thank you. Thanks for sharing all of your insights today, Bob. We really appreciate it. And congratulations again on the Career Achievement Award. Well, I'm, there are many uh, deserving of this award, so I'm really honored to be selected, uh, Lois, by McKnight's. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to be together with all the other honorees in different categories on, on, on March 7th in Chicago. And, uh, you know, again, it points to we've got great people doing great things in our field. And I, I, I don't want to minimize that. In fact, I want to stress it. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm so excited at, at Nexus uh, with a group of fellows I'm working with. And I'm excited with Ray Braun uh, and his leadership now and, and the new strategic plan that NIC is approved. So there's a lot of exciting things. But the basic point, again, coming back to Bill Gates, we have an opportunity now. Let's take advantage of it. Thank you. And I should mention for anyone interested in celebrating Bob and our other winners, um, you can visit McKnightsPinnacleAwards.com to find out more information about the events and about everyone we'll be honoring. This has been Lois Bowers, editor of McKnight Senior Living, and we've been speaking with Bob Kramer. Bob, thanks again for joining us today. Have a great day. Thanks, Lois. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Senior Living Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in senior living news, visit McKnightSeniorLiving.com.